Hello, and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. It's June 23rd. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, we'll be covering stories from former Mayor John Tory's candidate endorsement to a Tamagotchi club in Toronto to an interfaith Pride Month celebration. But first, let's take a look at today's top news. A, quote, catastrophic implosion of the submersible entitled Titan has been confirmed, killing all five men aboard. The Ocean Gate Expedition's vessel set out to the Titanic wreck site on Sunday at 6 a.m. and lost connection with its mothership at an hour and 45 minutes into its dive. Several international vessels, ROVs, and aircrafts were involved in the search, considered to be a search and rescue until Thursday. Oxygen resources on the Titan were available for 96 hours and were expected to end anywhere between 6 and 8 a.m. on Thursday. U.S. Coast Guard Rear Admiral John Moger announced at a press conference on Thursday that debris from the submersible was found approximately 1,600 feet from the Titanic's wreck site, reports CNN. Military experts confirmed that the debris, which included the tail cone of the vessel, were consistent with a, quote, disastrous loss of the vessel's pressure chamber, according to CNN. Officials have not concluded whether the implosion took place at the one hour and 45 minute mark of its dive. But a senior official told CNN that a Navy review of acoustics data detected an, quote, anomaly consistent with an implosion or explosion on Sunday in the area where the Titan lost communication. Mulger announced that there are no prospects on the chance of survival of any crew members. But disaster medicine expert at Florida International University, Dr. Eileen Marty, told CNN that a deep-sea implosion would not leave recoverable remains. She said, they're very unlikely to find anything there of human tissue. Social media posts from family members confirmed those aboard were Pakistani businessman and his son, Shazada and Sulman Dawood, British businessman Hamish Harding, French diver Paul-Henri Nargilat, and CEO of Oceangate Expeditions Stockton Rush, though authorities have not yet confirmed that. Former Toronto Mayor John Tory endorsed candidate Anna Bailon on Wednesday. He called his former deputy mayor, quote, the best choice to lead this city forward and to bring it together every day. He added, she will be there for you every day working tirelessly to make this city better. Anna will get more housing built. Anna will make sure the new transit we need actually gets built. And she will see to it that we continue to improve service and reliability on the TTC. Several of Tory's former staffers are working on Bailon's campaign. He went on to say that Toronto's mayor cannot be, quote, polarizing or, quote, driven by party politics. CP24 reports Bailon has the support of nine sitting councillors, including Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey. Mayoral candidate Josh Matlow said in a tweet in response to Tory's endorsement, John Tory and Doug Ford don't get to tell you who to vote for, and I know they don't want us to win. I need your support on June 26 to take a stand for Toronto and take back our city. Earlier this week, Ontario Premier Doug Ford endorsed Mark Saunders, saying he had his sign on his lawn. Mayoral candidate Olivia Chow continues to be in the lead, polls released this week showing she has over 30 percent support. 
Other candidates, including Bailon, Mark Saunders, Anthony Fury, and Josh Matlow, continue at the 10 to 15 percent margin, reports CP24. Chow's campaign put out a statement saying, In this election, John Tory and Doug Ford are two votes. They don't get to decide the next mayor of our city. The people do. Life is not affordable for a lot of people, and the status quo is not working. That is why my message of building a more affordable, caring, and safe city is being welcomed by so many Torontonians. Together, let's make that change happen on Monday. Voting for Toronto's mayoral by-election is set to take place on Monday. The city of Barrie is backing down from proposed bylaws that would have made it illegal to distribute supplies to unhoused individuals on public property. The council decided to unanimously return the matter to a general committee meeting later this year at a meeting on Wednesday night. The meeting was filled with people holding homemade placards to protest the proposed laws, reports CBC News. Barry Mayor Alex Nuttall told council members there should be zero fear out there that a bylaw officer or a peace officer is going to come and ask you not to give water to someone who needs it. But Councillor Jim Harris said the point is not to stop the help that unhoused people get. He said, charitable acts of kindness, giving, are central to our community and we do not want to punish that. That's not the intent. He added, we heard you, we understand you, and we agree with you. Housing advocate Christine Naylor set up tents outside City Hall this week and told CBC that the proposed bylaws would have made serving unhoused neighbors at her organization very difficult. CBC reports the point of the bylaws was to stop the handing out of food and supplies along the Barry waterfront and instead move their outreach to private property. Nuttall announced community not-for-profit organization Busby Center relocated its daily outreach program away from the Barry waterfront to avoid the implementation of the proposed bylaws. CBC reports the city already prohibits individuals from handing out supplies to unhoused individuals, but allows charitable organizations to do so. The Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness set up an online tool that allows people to send emails to Barry councillors to protest the bylaws on Tuesday. More than 23,000 emails had been sent approximately two hours before the council's meeting, according to the group. Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness CEO Tim Richer said, Council has referred the matter to staff and will, quote, modernize language in existing bylaws. We'll be watching what comes and stand ready to help. There are quite a few Pride events happening in the city this weekend, so let's take a look at some of them. First off, the Pride Street Fair hosts a number of vendors, artisans, and community organizations. It is set to begin on Friday at 8 a.m. and end by Monday at 7 a.m. It will close down Church Street from the north side of Dundas Street East to the south side of Hayden Street. Wellesley Street East from Young to Jarvis Streets will also be closed down. The Trans March will begin its rally portion at 7 p.m. and its March portion begins at 8 p.m. on Friday. This event will close down portions of Bloor Street East, Young Street, Church Street, and Gould Street. Lastly is the Pride Parade itself, which will begin at 2 p.m., but will close down several streets at differing times throughout the day. The list goes as follows. At 8 a.m., Rosedale Valley Road from Park Road to Bayview Avenue will close. At 12 p.m., Park Road from Rosedale Valley Road to Bloor Street East, 
Church Street from Park Road to Hayden Street and Bloor Street East from Young Street to Ted Rogers Way will close. At 1.30 p.m., Bloor Street West from Bay Street to Ted Rogers Way, Young Street from Bloor Street West to Queen Street West, Dundas Street West from University Avenue to Victoria Street, and Bay Street from Queen Street to Dundas Street will close. All roads are expected to reopen at 8 p.m. Meanwhile, this next story is about an old toy some of you might remember. Tamagotchi is a handheld device where you can take care of a pet from when it's in its egg stage to when it is fully grown. It was created in Japan in 1996 and then adapted in the U.S. in 1997. You can feed, bathe, and play with the virtual pet. Though it hasn't been widely used since the early 2000s, the Toronto Tamagotchi Club is bringing it back, in style. I spoke to the club's creator, Tui Gray, about her experience with the gadget. I've been playing Tamagotchi since I was 10 years old. I was first exposed to them through my neighbor, um, who were three girls who each had one. And as soon as I went back to school, I guess, after that summer, it seemed like everybody had them. Uh, And so I was really interested because I didn't have a pet. But this seemed like the closest alternative. So I started playing it, and it was a huge phenomenon at the time, of course. Like, they were being banned from schools because they were just taking over kids' attention spans. And I was definitely one of those kids. I remember getting in trouble for playing it in school. Um, And so, yeah, it was something that was always very um, community-based for me. Like, it was something that I played with other kids. and We were always trying to make our Tamagotchis get married and have kids and fill up your friend list as far as it could go on your Tamagotchi. I continued playing Tamagotchi since I had that first one when I was 10. So I played it, you know, for parts of high school, in university sometimes. Um, And then when I was uh, 26 last summer, I decided uh, to bring my Tamagotchi with me on a long bike trip that I was doing from Toronto to Halifax, um, which was a solo trip. And so I was doing it. Uh, in need of like a little traveling companion so I brought my Tamagotchi and when I got back to Toronto I was still playing it and thinking about how I used to do this with other people and that I can't be the last one in the city of Toronto playing Tamagotchi so I decided to just shoot my shot and I made a poster that just said my Tamagotchi has no friends and then a date and time for a meetup at Allen Gardens and it got a little bit of circulation online because I guess a lot of people thought it was cute and endearing and um, remembered playing Tamagotchi even if they didn't have one now. And it was able to reach the target audience. So people did show up at Allen Gardens, about a dozen people. Uh, we connected. There was Tamagotchi people who like just got there, people who had been playing since they were little kids. Um, yeah, and it was a really cute time. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And now we are a group with... Tons of people who meet from all over, not just Toronto, but Ontario. We've had people come from Peterborough. I've gotten messages from people in, like, Windsor and Buffalo about coming. Uh, Woodstock. Like, people travel for Tamagotchi. And I'm getting messages from people in other cities and countries asking me how to make one in their area. Gray explained the different generations of Tamagotchis and where you can find your very own. There's a few different versions of the Tamagotchi because it's been you know, 
alive since the 90s. So there's like the original, there's the reboot, and then there's the reboots of the reboots. The original ones that have no friending capabilities, they're very, very simple. Um, they've been reissued and you can get them at like Walmart and Urban Outfitters even. Um, but personally, I don't play that one because I think it's kind of boring, I'll be honest. And a lot of people get one and then they stop playing it because I think it's not as fun. I joined the world of Tamagotchi around the time of the reboot of the original, which was in the mid-2000s. And that's where you have the Tamagotchi connection, which is the kind that you can have that friending capability with other people. Um, and that one you can only get on eBay or Etsy or any reselling site right now because they, they haven't been reissued. And then there's the newest generation of Tamagotchis uh, in the past 10 years that are like in color and have like all kinds of different capabilities that the original ones didn't. And you can get those also at Walmart, but also online. The Toronto Tamagotchi Club has held two meetups thus far, one of which took place on December 11, 2022 at Allen Gardens, the other taking place May 28th at Bellevue Park. Gray went into detail about the atmosphere. The number one comment I've been getting on posts that we make about the Tamagotchi Club is people saying, where do I get one? So I think that just shows me that people are interested um, and that maybe a new generation also would want to play, um, like not just for nostalgia, but because it's something that is like, has value on its own. Um, I said before that the Tamagotchi is a uh, virtual pet, but it is a very analog connection or it feels somehow different than like a smartphone app that you play. It's its own handheld device. It is removed from your other like, you know, place that you do your work and your social media and whatever. It's like, it's its own little egg universe. And there were people who have come to the Tamagotchi meetups who are not very familiar with Tamagotchi. Either they just got one of their own for the first time, or even at our last meetup, there was someone who came uh, who had never even played Tamagotchi and was just curious about what they were about and brought a chocolate cake. It was amazing. And she just came because she was like, this seems like a nice, positive vibe. About a dozen individuals attended the December meetup, one of whom was Asha Swan. She had a lot to say about reconnecting with the Tamagotchi years after her initial exposure to it. So I grew up playing Tamagotchi, although I kind of um, played it a little bit of a different way. So like my, I would, would literally beg my mom to buy me a Tamagotchi from Toys R Us, but she was like, that is literally such a waste of like $50 because <laughs> they're so small and she like totally didn't get it. Um, but I remember one day getting really lucky and seeing one at the thrift store. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a generation three Tamagotchi. Like this is a super cool one. And that was, I think I was maybe, I don't know, eight years old when I found this at the thrift store. And that was my first Tamagotchi and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I didn't really have too many people to play with, but I loved still just taking care of this little virtual pet um i thought it was so fun and i wasn't like a huge huge tamagotchi collector like some people end up having like 10 or 15 and i i really think i only ever maybe had like two or three and again always just from finding weird little ones at the thrift store or like occasionally a knockoff one would show up at the thrift store but I was super happy to see that during the pandemic, um, people were getting more into Tamagotchis again. Um, so only relatively recently, I think, um, the Tamagotchi company made like brand, brand new ones. Um, so they're like 
yeah, the Tamagotchi company came up with these brand new, like, huge Tamagotchis that are, like, in full color, and they've got, like, an LCD screen. It's still, like, the same pixel art, but it's, like, all in color, and it's really fancy, and it uses AA batteries, which is crazy. Um, and my boyfriend got me that during the pandemic, and so I've, like, actively been playing since around then. Swan went into detail about her experience at the December meetup. I saw an Instagram post. Um, someone that I follow had reposted this adorable little cheesy image saying something like, my Tamagotchi has no friends, like, come to this meetup at Allen Gardens. And this was, I want to say this was, like, early December. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, let me let me go do this because my Tamagotchi also like, literally had no friends. Um, and I didn't know anyone who was still playing it. And so I told my boyfriend and I was like, okay, I'm going to go like meet up with, I don't know, whoever on the internet at Allen Gardens to go play Tamagotchi. Um, and he laughed at me and also, but he also dropped me off. So, you know, it wasn't totally weird, but, um, yeah, I ended up going to this meetup and there was maybe like six or seven people there um and we all had like different generations of tamagotchi which was so cool so like there's um all these different versions i think they're on like version seven or eight now the one that i have is called the tamagotchi meets um but other people had like ones from the 90s this one girl showed up and she literally had a box of like 15 or 20 different ones some that were like really rare um this one guy showed up and he had like two or three different Tamagotchis, but they're all like Japanese exclusive. And he didn't even speak Japanese. He was like, oh yeah, I actually don't know how these buttons work, but I've just been like messing around. So seeing that some people had some rare Tamagotchis was really interesting. Um, and then it turned out actually some girl that I had followed on Instagram for like five years was also at this meetup. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I recognize you from the internet. So that was kind of a cool, just fun thing. Um, but yeah, I never would have, known if I hadn't seen it on Instagram it was really chill so Allen Gardens has kind of this interesting setup where you can kind of like go in on one end and walk through and it's kind of like a pathway not really like a maze type of thing but there's like a couple different entrances and at first I was standing on one entrance and no one was there and I was like oh my god I've fallen for an internet scam like, there's no one here. I'm the only one here to play Tamagotchi. And then I'm, I saw two other people, like, walking past me. And I could hear, like, Tamagotchi has a very distinct, um, like, music. And I was like, oh, my God. Like a, like a kid recognizing an ice cream truck. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the wrong spot. But um, it was super chill. So, like, when I got there, um, everyone was just sitting on a bench. And we were all just, like, eating. Some girl bought Timbits. Um, so it was very chill. We were just chilling around, playing Tamagotchi. The girl who organized it also had, like, a Game Boy Advance, and so we were also, like, checking out her, or not a Game Boy Advance, but, like, whatever is the older one from Game Boy, um, like, the black and white version, and so she was, like, showing us this Game Boy that she's been working on. Um, yeah, it was very chill, very cool, and then afterwards we made a group chat to all keep in contact, um, and yeah. It was a very chill event overall, but really fun. I would say a very relaxed atmosphere. 
The club will be hosting a third meetup before the end of summer. You can follow their Instagram at toronto.tamagotchi.club for updates on that. Finally, the United Church of Canada held an interfaith pride celebration on June 17th. The event was initially supposed to take place at Allen Gardens, but was then moved elsewhere. Reverend John Joseph Mastandria organized the event and went into detail about the United Church's connection with the 2SLGBTQIIA plus community. Okay, so the United Church of Canada's relationship with the 2SLGBTQIIQ community uh, began a very long time ago. And it began probably before when we think of the beginning of Pride uh, that uh, here now started in 1974. Uh, through U of T, and sorry, Carol's call is coming in, so you have to bear with that. And essentially, many industries people were already on board with that. And then in the early 1980s, a person came out who challenged the whole way the United Church conducted itself with regards to ordaining people and uh, caused sort of the action and reaction to create a, a supportive document that. Uh, and affirmed in 1988 all people, regardless of orientation, could seek ordination in the United Church of Canada. This is a radical milestone in the United Church, but as you can well imagine, some people were immediately on board and some people were very challenged by that. So what it did cause and create is an affirming process where people, congregations could become affirming, which meant they would welcome all people, regardless of their orientation. And that being said, if you flash forward, now what we have is that after approving to marry people regardless of their orientation, and especially when it became legal, uh, the church uh, had, has, has been part of the Pride Parade. I guess my first Pride Parade was 1992. And, but as you know, it's more than just Pride. It's, it's called Pride 365. Mastandria said he organized the event for a variety of reasons. This event was important to run because we need to recognize there are many people who are part of other faith traditions that are very homophobic still. And so to have a safe place where all can be welcome and who have who do have feel a call to express their faith, whether it be Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, uh, Mormon, the list goes on, and to feel uh, supported in their journey to try to make a difference in their faith, but do this together. The celebration ran from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., and there were a variety of activities, such as Korean drumming, drag king, puppets, and time for attendees to mingle, according to the media release. Mastandria says the turnout was approximately 80 to 100 people. And so the event that we had this past Sunday was called the Interfaith Pride Fair, which is the second annual uh, event of that kind on that site, the St. Luke's United. And this was actually born first when we had World Pride in Toronto. We were hosting World Pride in 2014. And the idea was born after discussing with many folks about what about people beyond the Christian tradition. And the discussion evolved. I that if there are people beyond the Christian tradition that certainly express themselves as queer, queer positive, but queer LGBTQ+. And so that being said, the conversation occurs Molly, 
Al-Farouk Takaki in the Toronto Unity Mosque, share the banner that queer Jewish people, queer Hindus, Mormons, uh, the all-inclusive uh, ministry that's present at Our Lady of Lourdes, as well as people in the Presbyterian Anglican Church, and, and many more. And this was quite inspiring and remarkable. We had this back in 2014. It was probably about 300 people present. And it continued the next year, but took a hiatus until t- it was 2022. It was reborn at St. Luke's United Church. And so what, what did take place on the uh, Saturday, last Saturday, and it was, a, it was a very inspiring event. We gathered and set up at noon. And then we um, began at 1 o'clock. We 18 different tables, including Fife House, as well as uh, the Danforth Jewish Circle and the Universal Universal Unitarian Congregation at uh, Rosa Worships at East uh, Ministry United Church. And we gathered and, and said hello and greeted each other. And then about a quarter to two, I welcomed everyone officially, and then we got to experience different, different elements of our program that included the Drag King Puppet Show, as well as uh, David Holman, who's a, a local, a very key lay leader at St. Luke's United, welcoming people to uh, the event. And then we got to hear from Alexis Gilmore, Alexa Gilmore, who uh, spoke about how we need to stand together and stand strong against the very conservative voices that are very anti-homophobic at this present time. Reverend Dr. Carmen Lansdowne was also present. The media release states she was elected as moderator of the United Church of Canada in July 2022 and is part of the Hildsuk First Nation. Mastandria has met Lansdowne several times. And then they were inspired very much by the, our, our moderator, Carmen Lansdowne, who spoke about the uh, gift and honor to be present but to stand together, not only in Toronto, but across the country, the people who are LGBTQ plus this time. And Carmen uh, brings that wonderful inspiration of being also First Nation. And so then what we could following that, we, we walk together to uh, go across to the St. Allen Gardens, where there's an encampment. And in this case, St. Luke's welcomes the encampment as neighbors, not as people who are other. And so we said happy pride to many people. And there was a positive interaction. And then we paused in the middle of the park, and uh, one of the key leaders at St. Luke's United set us in laughing yoga for about 20 minutes. And then we concluded that portion of our time, went back to the tables, and uh, welcomed other people who are part of other Christian and other faith traditions. We said, How can we be part of this in years to come? And it was very inspiring. Uh, remarkable because the day was sunny and not raining. and uh, I would say positive overall. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>